Adventures in time and space told in future tense. All radio is dead. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Look, there comes one of them now. Good evening, risen from the coffin, we are the Nosferadudes, and on this episode, we are going to be talking about uh, not the greatest Halloween film ever made, we're going to be talking about the the magical Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers. Uh, my name is Kyle. And I'm Brad. And we're ready to get into it. So Halloween 5... The Revenge of Michael Myers, uh, coming out in 1989. Brad, uh, give the listeners just a, a rough idea of what do we think of this movie. Well, you kind of caught me at a crossroads here, Kyle. <laughs> so if if you're talking for most of our lives, um, it's, it's at the bottom, right? We hate... We, there's a lot we hate about the movie. Um, and it was not a just follow-up to Halloween 4. Um, for sure. So, it's, so if you're asking what we, what we th- think of this movie, it's, 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 at, it's at the bottom. However, I have watched this movie now three or four times in the last <laughs> week and a half. And I have picked out plenty of good things about the movie. So I, I also want to make sure that we focus on that because there were some good things that came out of the movie that I think maybe now kind of maybe looking back on it, you know, maybe we were a little too hard on this movie. Well, I, you know, I will fully uh, cop to the fact that this isn't Halloween Resurrection. You know, let's make that clear. Yeah. <laughs> this is not Halloween Resurrection. Um, but I think, and from what we talked about in the last couple of episodes, there were a lot of missed opportunities with this film. This film could have been as solid and as captivating as Halloween 4 if they had mm-hmm. just made some key adjustments and right. and as we'll get into a little bit you know there there was a a bit of a singular reason for for some of the direction of the film and and, and we'll get into that um in in my in my little bit of limited research so halloween awesome. 5 the revenge of michael myers uh, directed by Dominique Othenia Girard. <laughs> yes, he is. He is uh, from France. <laughs> um, so the the good things are we get we got Donald Pleasance back as mm. Doctor Sam Loomis. You know right. he's 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 the keystone. He is the linchpin to this series, this trilogy. Doctor yes. Loomis is at the center of it all. 
Daniel Harris comes back as the young Jamie Lloyd. Yep. We get um, a, a very short, a very limited appearance by our our favorite, our pal Bo Starr as Sheriff Ben I'm, Meeker. I'm glad you said that because that's actually one of my notes that was one of the problems with the movie was that there wasn't enough Ben Meeker. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, he was, you saw him kind of like in the beginning and then you saw him more a little at the end when they, you know, they found, you know, Jamie, um, and then picked her up. Um, but, but you really, I don't, I don't know, 10 minutes of screen time. Yeah. They really, they really left Donald Pleasance to do the heavy lifting as far as the chase of Michael Myers. It right. was, you saw a right. lot of deputies, but not a lot of not a lot of Ben Meeker. It was all him, right? It was all Loomis. Yeah, uh, you do have Ellie Cornell return as Rachel Carruthers, but again, there's a big but, issue there. There's a big problem. issue, very very limited. Mm-hmm. And now we get into sort of the new crowd. <laughs> the 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 oh. the the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The um, Saved by the Bell, the new class, right? <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't watch Saved by the Bell, the new class. <laughs> but we get uh, the the biggest uh, as most people, the know. biggest new uh, up and comer that we see. I mean, she had done other projects before this, but uh, Wendy Kaplan plays Tina Williams. Uh, she basically mm. is is supposed to be Rachel's best friend, but ends up taking over the Rachel sort of role of protector of Jamie Lloyd. And, and you, right. So I always wondered if they meant that the, because in Halloween four, when they go to, when Jamie goes through that whole thing with the kids making fun of her and, you know, your mommy's a mummy and she goes running out of the school and she gets into the car and it's, Rachel, but Rachel isn't driving. There's someone else driving. It's this other girl. So I always wondered if maybe they just like that was supposed to kind of be maybe Tina or, or whatever, but they recast the role. I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's but that... you never, you never, she kind of comes out of nowhere. Like all of a sudden, and you, know, I have you a... start to see Rachel's friends. Yeah. I have a, a I have more. a feeling that, you know, maybe just having that person there might have given them like the impetus. Oh, well like, okay, well here's somebody that we could maybe pull over. Like we know she has a a best friend that Jamie knows and you know, they pick her up from school and maybe we can work that into something else in this next iteration. Mm. Um, And then we have kind of like your throwaway teenagers. We've got Tamara Glenn (laughs) as Samantha, Matthew Walker, which is another problem with the movie, is that they're throwaway teenagers right. characters you do not care about. Right. Uh, Matthew Walker as Spitz, and uh, one of the standout douchebags of any horror movie I think that we've seen, Jonathan Chapin as Mike. <laughs> Oh, Mike. We might as well nickname him. I don't know if it was actually a Mustang, but we might as well just call him Mustang Mike. <laughs> Mustang Mike. I don't think so. Wasn't it? It was like Camaro? I think it was something like that. Um, and then we get uh, our two, uh, I'm going to use the sarcastically, favorite characters of the film, 
uh, Deputy Tom and Deputy Nick, <laughs> played played by David Urson and Frankie Como. These are the two dumb deputies mm. ah. that, uh, for whatever reason, they threw into the mix in this movie. And I we weren't going to go scene by scene, so just cut to the scene where, you know, Rachel... Um, you know, Jamie has this psychic connection with Michael, and every time Michael moves, Jamie twitches, uh, yeah. as Ben Meeker <laughs> says. And so, you know, Loomis panics and calls Rachel, you know, and has her, um, you know, check, uh, you know, on the dog and everything. And the, she calls the cops, you know, and she run, has to run next door. Where's and, the dog? You know, it's. <laughs> Right, right, and it's all this, and and basically, you know, um, nothing, nothing to worry about. The dog is fine, and the cops are there, and they're walking out of the house after doing the inspection, and they actually play, like the slide whistle. Oh yeah, yeah. circus kind of. Yeah, it's like, like circus slash Spike Jones music, music. You know, yeah, right, right, and and. At that moment, you take all kind of seriousness out of the movie. And any tension, any tension whatsoever. And any tension's broken, all of that. You know, like given, yeah, okay, it turns out the dog, you know, had run off for whatever reason. We think that that's because of Michael Myers, but, you know, the dog comes running back and, and now there's a release of the tension but instead of just allowing that moment to breathe and release the tension naturally, which it does, you know, she she breathes this big sigh of relief. They didn't need to have the music in the background. They throw to in like these let two... you know this is some kind of Looney Tunes. They throw like, you know in. What I mean? it... They throw in Deputy Dumbass, <laughs> <laughs> and and he, and they got Deputy Dumbass do... is pretty good, not as good as Dipshit Denny. <laughs> You know, and they and they throw in this kooky, stupid fucking stuff. music, you know, and uh, yeah, and it completely blows it because instead of a natural release of tension, you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> right. Well, exactly. Right. So. So. All right. Well, um, let's get into some of the production background. So this movie um, and a lot of the initial decisions that kind of fed into this. Uh, was unfortunately uh, the product of one Mr. Mustafa Akkad. He's one of these producers who, like, sometimes he he says, no, it's got to be this way, and it turns out great. And sometimes he says, no, it's got to be this way, and it takes a bit of a shit. And so he rushed this into production because Halloween 4 was, it blew. It, like, went off, right? and. Sure. People were like, "Oh man, like way to way to bring it back. That's that's awesome. Michael Myers was cool, and so he's like, "Oh, I want to like while the strike while the iron is hot. I want to capitalize." So he rushes this thing into production. Uh, when they started filming, the screenplay was still in revisions. Like sometimes, like on a set, they'll like you know, day to day, they might do some changes, you know, the writer and the director get together and they'll like make some changes to certain scenes to either, oh, well, we felt this scene really didn't have a lot of tension. So we wanted to change some of the dialogue to build the tension up, things like that. But for the most part, when you start filming the script, the overall script and the, the overall arc of the story is set. 
you might mm-hmm. change a scene here, a scene there, but it's still, you know, you're still going to do basically the agreed upon script, you know, from the, the get-go. This script was still in revisions, which is a bit of a recipe for disaster, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, when right. when movies go into production and the script still isn't quote unquote finalized, you know it's going to be a rough ride. <laughs> you know, um, mm. they started filming in Salt Lake City in uh, on May first, nineteen eighty nine. Now to give you an idea, so this movie came out in nineteen eighty nine. So it was filmed in the same uh, town as. Uh, Halloween 4? Right, right. They filmed it in the same place. Um, they did change a couple of uh, locations up, but they they specifically... Um, Rachel's house... Because Rachel's the, house is the same. That's the right? same yeah. house. And I believe yep. you do see uh, Victor Drug in a, a shot in town. So you know it's in the same town. Right. Um, but to give you an idea, so they started filming in May, May 1st of, of 1989. And let me uh, find my note on this. I should have had the notes like together, but oh well. Probably. <laughs> um, they Filming was completed June 11th, 1989. So they filmed this in just a little over a month. Because Mustafa wow. Akkad was like, I want this in the theaters by October. Yep. So big yeah. Ru- the, big now rush. it's it's starting to make it's starting to make more sense. Right? Yeah, and I mean there there are movies that get filmed in in you know five weeks, six weeks, whatever. Um, but normally, there's a little bit more time taken post production uh, so that they can make sure or that pre production. Or in pre-production, so that they can make sure that the movie is just right, that it's up to spec, that it's the way they want it. That's where you leave room for if we have to come back and do reshoots. Oh, that scene didn't work. We thought it would, but when we went to edit, it just doesn't flow right. So we, we want to bring everybody back, do a quick reshoot on that scene, and then we're going to cut that into the movie, stuff like that. So they had like very little time, because you figure they wrapped in June, and then they've got, you know... Like, yes, they have some months, July, August, September, but then by the time September hits, you're trying to get those copies out to theaters, you're trying to, like, do the distribution, and, you know, at that point now it's it's too late to do anything. So they really left themselves a short window to, to try and get this movie into the box office. Uh, it received negative reviews right out of the gate. It is, as of 2022, it was the lowest grossing film in the franchise. So it made, it made less money than Resurrection. <laughs> if you can believe wow. that. Because wow. they, they, had, they had a $5.5 million budget. They only made 11.6 domestically. So that sounds like they made a profit, but when you work in distribution costs and all the back end costs and everything, like it really mm-hmm. did not recoup enough to be considered to Hollywood a success. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mustafa Khan, he did he he there were some things he wanted to do that would have been probably a really good idea if he could have made it happen. He wanted to get 
uh, McElroy and, and Dwight Little to come back. He wanted McElroy to write the script. He that would have been Little a good to direct. Well, that would have been a good idea. Yep. But unfortunately, they both declined. Now I I don't know why. I don't know if they had conflicts or I don't know if they didn't like working for Mustafa Kad. I don't know. Um, but they both declined to come back and work on the film. Hmm. So then they uh, tried to hire. They hired playwright Shem Bitterman to write uh, another script. His first script that he wrote was titled Halloween Five: The Killer Inside Me, and it actually featured both Michael Myers and an evil Jamie Lloyd. But and here's the second time Mustafa Kad makes probably a bad decision. He wanted Michael to be the sole villain of the film. He 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 didn't want to. He he's at the point now. He just had a big success with four. He thinks whoa 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 whoa. We're gonna start mucking around with the formula again. I don't like that. That makes me nervous. No no no. We want Michael Myers. That's that's who we want. We don't want to deviate or distract from. We don't want two villains. We want just him. So then uh, they were tossing around the names of a couple directors, but then uh, Deborah Hill, the the John Carpenter's uh, producing partner uh, that worked on the first uh, couple of films, Deborah Hill, she recommends uh, Dominique Othen and Girard to Mustafa Kad after Deborah Hill meets him at the 1989 Sundance Film Festival. Now, Girard, uh, he had a few movies under his belt, but nothing big nothing really he was he was seen as like a talented up-and-coming director um and this would have been like his first film stateside i believe Mm. um so uh mustafa kad they have a meeting and uh apparently very very famously uh gerard takes bitterman's script for, you know, evil Jamie Lloyd, evil, you know, Michael Myers, the combo, and he throws it into a trash can in front of Mustafa Kad. Away with you. I wipe my ass with your <laughs> script, <laughs> you fool. <laughs> um, so, Gerard, uh, his first pitch, uh, taking over the... Now, he, he partnered up with a couple of writing partners. Uh, his first pitch was with writer Robert Harders, and they had Michael depicted more like Frankenstein with an angry mob angry mob chasing him. So he actually was like trying to make... Oh, Michael... Halloween kills. <laughs> True. Except it was like, it was um, a bit of a take on... He saw Michael Myers as, in those terms of like Frankenstein. And because when you watch Frankenstein, you know... Yeah, Frankenstein does these terrible things, but for the most part, he's depicted as like a fumbling newborn that the the concept doesn't of, know any better. Yeah, he doesn't know any better. The concept of like the the given morality, he can't connect with it and no one's teaching right. him. And so, you know, he ends up getting and by the end you feel bad for the monster, you know. Right. Um, you think the people, the townspeople are horrible and the monster just was, you know, misunderstood. Right. So that's kind of how Gerard wanted to go with it. Um, but Mustafa Kad was like, you know, wait, wait, you want now 
Haddonfield to be the bad guys and Michael Myers is like this, you know, sympathetic character. He was like, no, 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 no. That's that's a hard no, hard pass. Can't have that. <laughs> so Gerard goes and he works with this other writer, Michael Jacobs. They make a second pitch, and this is titled Halloween Five, dot dot dot, and things that go bump in the night. <laughs> what? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that is a real shame yeah. that we didn't get that title. Now, in that script, they did introduce uh, Jamie having this, uh, her being mute and having this telepathic connection with Michael Myers. Um, now, of course, that script was not, that pitch itself wasn't exactly what we got. They He ended up having to make a third pitch, which ended in the... Uh, the story as we know it. But yeah, Gerard was seeking to humanize Michael. Um, and that's part, that's why in... The, and that, he did. He really did. He succeeded. Well, yeah. In in that moment, uh, towards the end, Michael takes his mask off. He sheds a tear. But in the whole movie, though, it, in the whole movie, and we'll, we'll talk about it, um, but Michael goes so in four... Again, George Wilbur plays him Frankenstein, but this guy plays him more like a guy. He's just, he's back to, he's really back to the Nick Castle style. He's, you know, six foot, whatever, like six foot and 185 pound guy, you know, just, yeah. a, you know, and he's, he's in a jumpsuit in a mask. And, and, and then he, you know, takes his mask off and he sheds the tear and everything. But through the whole movie, he's back to, how Nick Castle kind of portrayed him in the first one. He's kind of back to, you know, it's more about, it's not about his strength and his bruteness and his, you know, monster, like, you know, freakish abilities to withstand pain. Um, It's more about him stalking his prey. And, you know, he even will talk about this again with Tina. He plays with Tina. He, you know, he yeah. he kind of stages all this stuff and and he's back to that portrayal as opposed to the, the portrayal from the last movie. Right. Um, but yeah, so he has him shed a tear and, and he wants he wants Michael Gerard wants Michael to be emotionally conflicted about what he is doing, what he wants to do, um, yet he still chooses violence. Gerard thought that um, someone who was conflicted about doing evil, but yet still chose to do evil, that somehow that was more scary to him. Um, let's see. And and part of that was, um, he's quoted as saying, uh, Dr. Loomis tries to reach uh, Michael's emotional side several times in the film. He thinks he could cure Michael through his feelings. Um, I kind of feel like that proves that Gerard doesn't really understand Michael Myers or Sam Loomis at this point, (laughs) but (laughs) that's what he was trying to do. Um, The man in black character was supposed to actually have a larger role, but unfortunately was diminished in the final cut, the final edit. And it, it, did you say, unfortunately, well, (laughs) did you say, unfortunately was cut? 
Well, unfortunate in the fact that they ha- they had that character in there, but by the end of the movie, you've got no clue who he is. You've got no clue what the point, like what he's trying to accomplish or achieve. The less man in black. Yeah, I mean, ideally the they, yeah, ideally they sh- they should have just cut that out oh. completely. Not even have him Complete, in there twice. One hundred percent. But yep. uh, but yeah. So uh, George P. Wilbur was asked to play the shape again. But he declined. I think even George P. Wilbur was like, oh, I don't know about this. <laughs> I don't know about this one. Um, but he was still a stuntman. He still worked as a stuntman on the film. Um, I I don't have a problem with the guy who played Michael Myers in this movie. I don't have a problem with the way he played him. The you know we talk about did they get Michael Myers right every single movie yeah right we talk about did they get michael myers right so they got the the actor the stuntman who played michael myers played him just fine except for one thing and i marked it down and i don't know why and maybe you can answer this for me why is he constantly holding the knife up in the stab you position like he's <laughs> yeah, so like loomis the... so just so towards the end of the movie when loomis is trying to talk to michael the entire time michael is holding the knife up you know to his chest in this, you know, stab you position or he's like posing. It looks like he's posing for a poster or something. And, but he does that a lot in the movie. Yeah. And I don't understand that other than that, you know, we talk about how, how does Michael move, you know, and, and all that stuff. And he just, he does a fine job. The problem with Michael is the mask. Yeah. Yeah. It's a huge problem. And we and we can we can talk about that. We'll get into that. Okay, continue with your production. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, the movie uh, did open at number four its first weekend, which actually is not great for a Halloween film. Usually, Halloween films open, you know, either at number one or number two. You know, right. um, so that was that was already a setback, and um, we'll we'll get. To, to the the when we watch the film here as we talk about it we'll get to the scene uh with ellie cornell the death of ellie cornell's character rachel um <sighs> and mustafa cod he did express after the fact that he regretted having her killed off the stupidest at oh the, at the what time a dumb move. at the time he wanted it to feel like no one was safe I get it. I get it. And I know we'll we'll talk about it and everything, but that that was one of the problems. So you were able to bring back a lot of the cast from 4. Oh yeah, he was and hand, then not utilize them. Yeah. And then not use them. You know, obviously well you use Loomis, um but you know, Bo Star was underutilized in the movie and Ellie Cornell was underutilized in the movie. You yeah. cared about, we talked about in four, how you cared about these characters. You cared about whether or not they lived or died. 
And now you carry those characters into five. So now the audience is even more invested. Right. Right. In these characters. And they care about them even more. So to have kind of Rachel go out the way she did so early in the movie. Uh, and I don't know if they were trying to be cute. Like they were trying to be like Alfred Hitchcock with psycho and Janet Lee dying, you know, yeah. early in the movie or whatever. Like, I don't know if they were trying to do something like that, but it, it didn't serve the movie. So you took the talent, the, the, that, 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 cast that surrounded Donald Pleasance and then you were you had this opportunity with them in in the fifth movie and you just kind of blew it with their characters yeah yeah because uh, you know so that was one problem with the movie not not to not to compare it you know we compared it uh, a little bit to the scream series uh in the last episode um but but it really is one of those things where you know it, it's sort of a a bit of a ham-handed attempt at like what Scream pulled off. Um, not specifically talking about Drew Barrymore in the first film, but later on, as you have established characters, and you get to that point where you know, like, I kind of want to kill this character off now. Like, I know that the audience loves this character, but I kind of want to kill them off in this scene. I think it'll be a big moment. Well, you have to build into that, you know? Yeah, you have to make the, the moment count. So, and we're going to have another episode on it. Annie's death in Halloween 2. Right? Rob, Rob, Rob Zombies. Zomb- Rob yeah. Zombies, Halloween 2. This, she was a carryover character, right? So, Rob Zombie decided because in obviously in 78 in Halloween 78 she dies. Yeah. Annie dies, but he Rob Zombie decided to carry her character over. So now you're even more invested in Annie. Yeah. And so when she dies and the way that Rob Zombie builds it up and builds up her character when she does die and the way he does it is very dramatic. It's very like, it's like a major moment in the movie and almost to the point where you're like, you don't even know where to go from there. Yeah. Like you're so like, and, and that was why, and this is kind of why I I really like this, the Halloween too. And we'll, we'll have another episode on it. But when she died, you're gutted. Yeah, you know you're you're gutted for Sheriff Brackett when he finds her, right? We talked about this earlier when in Halloween in the original Halloween. Yeah, the two, difference between brackets. The how, difference you know, between, the, the, between the two. Yeah, but Rob Zombie made it such an emotional moment. Yeah, you know, and you were just broken when she died. Yeah, they're oh recapping. the recapping. Yeah, the recap. Why is, we know what we know what happened. The recap. And is anybody ridiculous. going? If if anybody is going to see Halloween five, guys, guess what? They saw Halloween four. Well, the whole point. The whole point was the only people going to see this movie are Mustafa Cod wanted to rush to get it out because just the year before Halloween four had been so successful for him. So he literally rushes to get another one out like the next year. 
and and they do a recap. <laughs> right. Like you yeah, forgot the movie. in everybody's mind. You yep. forgot the movie you just watched a year ago. Exactly. <laughs> right. Although we do get the great shot of um, you know, Michael Myers getting like blasted again down by, the uh down the open hole in the earth by Bostar, which is the entrance of the which um, apparently yeah. because even though this is supposed to be Haddonfield, Illinois, uh, for whatever reason, because they were filming in Salt Lake City, uh, I think this was supposed to be a salt mine. I saw that in some of my research that this was supposed to be a salt mine, but I don't know. I don't know how many salt mines there are in Illinois. <laughs> I would say zero. <laughs> and then, of course, they just happen to have sticks of dynamite <laughs> available. Right. That that comes standard in the back of every cop car is at least one right. stick of dynamite. So here we go, Kyle. So we see a river. Now they're in Illinois. So as we all know, uh that is not touching any ocean, right? <laughs> right. So when we get to um you Which know, that which that is Don Shanks. Don Shanks did like the majority of the Michael Myers stunts in this, because Don Shanks was a stuntman. And so right. that's that's actually him going down the river. But the gentleman that Michael, uh, that owns the shanty that Michael uh, knocks on his door or whatever. Yeah, they make um, him look like a strange he has, captain character. Well, he's got a... He's got a, he's got a parrot. He's got a parrot. He's wearing the little I sailor's mean, hat. Yeah, he's got a sailor's hat. But, you know, they're in Illinois. So I don't know what he's supposed to be. I don't know. I don't understand that. And what is they're in Illinois. What do they what what does this guy do in the winter? (laughs) Yeah, it's all just plywood. His walls are made his walls are made of just like planks and you know pieces of metal, scrap metal and Well, so originally, and I I do have a, a note on this, originally the opening sequence with the quote-unquote hermit uh, was actually originally supposed to be the beginnings of the introduction of the Mark of Thorn. So Michael is supposed to actually be found by a younger man who is in this cult of Thorn, and he, he's basically, it's a, it was supposed to be like a secret cult den originally and he finds michael myers and he performs necromancy here michael myers was supposed to be dead they were going to start the movie with him being deceased you're just floating down the river and this guy gets it fishes him out performs a necromancy ritual over michael myers and brings him back from the dead and then puts him under the curse of thorn um Get and, get, oh, and that was passed on. I want you to take a guess as to what that character's name was supposed to be. The 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 young necromancer. Oh, I don't know what what. Tell me, Doctor Death. <laughs> oh boy. Um, but yeah, wow. so the the entire sequence was scrapped. They felt like, uh, like we like we talked about about going balls deep on the Mark of Thorn <laughs> stuff. Uh, somebody thought that it's a little too much right away. 
<laughs> like all of a sudden there's yeah. necromancy. And of course it, yeah. it, it breaks one of Mustafa Akkad's rules. Mustafa Akkad has that rule that Michael Myers has to be a flesh and blood guy. He's not a zombie. He's not supernatural. He's not a ghost. Mustafa Akkad, it always, for him, it always has to be a real living guy that mm-hmm. you might be able to kill. It's really hard, but you might be able to actually <laughs> it's kill It's really hard. It's really, really, really hard. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so they, they switched it to an old hermit and they had to reshoot the whole thing. They had to take all of the like black magic shit out of the shack. <laughs> Here we go. He turns his wrist over. Yeah, that's where we get the over, first. And now we get the iteration of uh, the Mark of Thorn. But if before he turned his wrist over, you saw the burn. So at least, you know, they got that right. 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 Yeah. yeah they're, his they're, hand was burned. They're maintaining some form of continuity. You're right. right. And there you actually that's almost important. see his face when he sits up in the hermit shack before he puts the mask on. You almost see his face. Right. It's very blurred in the background. Um, but yeah, so we're going to get to, so what do you want to talk about first? Do you want to talk about the pros that I have for the movie? Or do you want to talk about the cons that I have for the movie? Well, let's talk about the, we can con- probably talk the about cons the, con- list the cons because let's talk about this mask. So, <laughs> so he, okay. So the mask was obviously on my list. It was second. It was second on my list. <gasps> what do you think was first? <laughs> what was first? Tina. <laughs> No, is Loomis too crazy in this movie? Is he over the top? I think now you like we're watching the beginning of the movie, but think about the movie in totality, right? He ends up baiting. I, I know that she agrees to it. You know, Jamie agrees, like, what do you need from me? You know, and, and she agrees to be the bait for, for Michael, but, you know, I mean, you know, he is way over the top in this movie. I think that, and it's not, it's not one of the, it's one of these things that you kind of have to analyze the movie a little bit. I actually like the way where they went with Loomis in this, um, because I get the feeling like this, like is almost always with Loomis in every movie. I think he they believe they killed michael myers you know they they think they blew him up in the mine shaft right but loomis until he has a body he's not going to believe it and i think he's been biding his time as the the humble uh psychiatrist at this children's hospital <laughs> humble yeah, yeah. yep and I think that when he realizes that something is happening, that she's making some kind of strange connection, and it confirms for him that Michael is still out there, I think he spirals. Because it's another one of these things. He's been waiting for this and waiting for this. And also, it, it does coincide with at the end of 4, where he has completely lost his sense of reality in, in that last moment where he's screaming, no, 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 you know, uh, I think, I think part of Loomis breaks in that scene, in that moment. 
And now, now he's gone. I think there's like this arc. So we talk about initially he's Victor Frankenstein in, in, uh, in one and two in four, he's now full Van Helsing hunting the monster, hunting the creature. Mm-hmm. But now in five, he becomes Ahab and he is now at all costs. If I have to sacrifice this little girl, although he doesn't... But does it make him unlikable? And so you love Loomis up to this point, and now in five, it's it's almost like... Because what was what was one of the biggest complaints with Rob Zombie's Halloween was that he made he made Loomis unlikable. He, he, well, yeah, and that one Loomis he made was Malcolm make that, and that was an... That, 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 right. <laughs> that was an extra... But, but my point is, is that you know, in this one, is he so? Is he over, over the top to the point where you know he's sacrificing this little girl, and it makes him just kind of a little like, Ugh, like I don't, I kind of don't. Well, and I, th- but I think I, I, I love this guy, but he's gone, like almost like, oh, Grandpa's finally like lost it, <laughs> you know, like we got to put him in the home. Well, to 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 kind of skip ahead mentally. You get to the moment where he does uh, spring the trap on Michael at the end in the uh, what is now a gigantic uh, Myers house. I think you see the culmination of you know Loomis in that scene. You know the 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 chain net, which I thought was <laughs> kind of crazy. They drop the, he drops his chain net on top of him, and then. Loomis just picks up a two by four and just goes to town, just goes to town. Um, Fun fact, Donald Pleasance got a little too into that scene and he broke Don Shanks's nose. Oh, with the, the, I think, I think it was a, a, a prop two by four, but he still hit him hard enough with it. I don't think it was made of, it wasn't made of like a solid wood, but it was made sturdy enough so that he could like it hurt. It would look yeah. like, you know, he was beating him with a real two by four and he right. cracked him right across the nose, ripped the mask open. They had to patch the nose on the mask. Yeah. So, so Donald okay. Pleasance, I mean, he was full into that idea that Loomis is losing it. Right. So, okay. So for every con, Maybe I can give a pro yeah, for a while. And then the list is going to take over on cons, which is why the movie is where it is. <laughs> One of the pros of the movie is that he is back to stalking. He's back to doing the things that Michael Myers does. We're watching it right now. Yeah, he's, he's outside mov- of the house. He's, he's moving, moving around. around. He, this is exactly the first person style shooting that John Carpenter did in the original. He is outside. He's stalking. He's watching Rachel. He's looking right? for his way in. He's he's planning. He's doing like that. That's, he's putting that's, the time in. He's putting the time and the effort in. He is, he is putting the time and the effort in. He's taking great care in, in planning this all out. And, and he does that in this movie. So that is a throwback to the original and how he do, how he goes about his business. Where in four, right? We talked about. There's a little bit of that. There, Dwight Little, you know, kind of threw some of these shots in there where Michael does some of these 
you know, prankster things or whatever we want to call them, stalking things. But it really is emphasized in this movie. I think he, they really made a, an effort to kind of bring him back to that regular guy, just an escaped uh, mental patient, stalking, you know, plotting, planning, you know, and, and you know, getting ready for his attack rather than just, you know, kind of brooding his way through everything. Yeah, I think I think that's there's a lot of things that Gerard doesn't understand, I think, about Halloween and about the films and the characters and the lore. But I think that's one of the things that he did pick up on is this idea that that Michael is sort of like this um, a predator that bides his time that that takes the and he time. thinks things through right. like he's a thinking he's not this mindless monster that you kind of get from right george wilbur and yeah. four and six you get that kind of mindless monster thing in five he is very much a thinking killer yeah he's 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 planning these things out planning his way in um you know we see later that he's he's willing to to like he pretends in four to be the deputy until Kathleen Kinmont gets close enough for the kill. You know, mm. in this, he's willing to pretend to be Tina's boyfriend because he believes that Tina's going to lead him to Jamie. Right. You know, it's like, yeah, he could yeah. kill, he could just kill, he could have killed her in the car. Sure. But he if knows. He was a, if he was a mindless monster. But he, he knows not. that if anybody knows where Jamie is, it's going to be Tina because I've taken out the one person that was the closest to her. He's already he already gets Rachel in the beginning of the film, so right. now it's Tina. Okay, I need to follow this girl because eventually this girl's going to put me where I want to be, right? And then I'll kill her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now we have the the where you first get the sense that Loomis is starting to lose it. You know, the, the first moment you, you get that idea is when, uh, you know, she's allowed to call Rachel cause she's freaking out. She, she knows Rachel's in danger in some way and Loomis and the, the little stuttering kid they're they're talking to, to Jamie and then, but Jamie's like, she's upset. She doesn't want to talk to anybody. And so Loomis is like, all right, all right, come on. We better leave her alone. And he gets the kid yeah. out the door and then closes the door to lock the kid outside. And he goes yeah. back over. He's like, you said something, don't you? Show me. Write it down. Write it down. Yeah. Why are you hiding? What are you protecting him for? Right. And he starts yelling at the kid. You know, and that's another thing. He starts yelling at this kid. Oh, my goodness. But I, I really, I really don't know if I like you in this movie, <laughs> Donald Pleasance. But it, it's, it's a but good. You, you say it's okay because he's, he's just. I, crazy I think because of the way they build that up, he's gone like, Ahab, and that's the first moment. Like when you first see him in the movie, he's okay. He seems like Loomis. He's a little stodgy, but you know, he's like he lets right. them. He doesn't give them shit about bringing the dog in or about Teen acting like a fucking idiot. You know, <laughs> he's like. He's like, all right, visiting hours are over. Come on, time to go. <laughs> it's like, you know, he doesn't give him hell for it. And then, um, but then the next scene, he takes it up a notch. 
and he's like, I, you know, he's like, I know, I know you're hiding something. Show, tell me, you know, and he just keeps notching it up till, you know, eventually he's like, come on, Michael, take her. I've got her right here. (laughs) This is what you want. Although I do have is one of the pros. Go, oh, can I can I give you one of my funny pros of sure, this movie? Sure. Because now we're getting our first glimpse of Bo Star. Cops respond realistically. Uh. So okay, so 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 hold on. Because one of the things that we because always love. We just talked about the bumbling cops. Now, well, one of the what? things we always loved was in the majority of the Halloween movies. The cops are like, the minute they hear Michael Myers, they're like, oh, fuck, where? Where? We totally right, believe you. Right. Yeah, where do we got to go? You know, right, we're not, right, we're right. not we're fucking playing around with this shit. <laughs> right, right, exactly. But um, aside, so take the bumbling cops out of the equation. Just Bo Star and the rest of, like, you know, his kind of deputy in this. Um, and I have in parentheses, protecting Tina... Right, so even though those those same characters that that were the bumbling cops were like uh, when Loomis said you have to go protect her, they did. They were like, you know what? That's probably not a terrible idea. We should, you know, go and just make maybe keep an eye on her. Right, so like they they did this. They were kind of like rational, you know, and and. Um, uh, protecting Tina and letting her leave because she hasn't done anything wrong. Right? When Tina goes running out of the house and, and Loomis is like, you have to stop her. And they're on like, whose orders? On whose orders? <laughs> yeah, on whose orders, right? But but the, the the other cop was like, she hasn't she hasn't done anything wrong. Like, we can't we can't just detain people, you know? Yeah. So, for, for no reason. So, it's kind of interesting and I think more in in Halloween movies in general because you just said you know oh Michael Myers where like what you know like we're on top of it more in Halloween movies the cops I think maybe in general respond more realistically than maybe some other B-horror movies or some of the horror movies that we grew up loving yeah where they don't believe anybody and you know yada 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 and they only show up at the end in another right. horror movie, the two bumbling cops would have just fucked off and gone and done something exactly. else. Exactly. <laughs> but for some reason they, they make an, they make a point of it almost in, in these movies and all of them. Every single director that's done it, you know, has made the, the even in David Gordon Green. Yeah. Uh in, in, in his trilogy, all the cops kind of responded in this realistic way. Like, okay, let's check it out. You know, let's, you know, they just went about it in a very, like, step-by-step, rational yeah. way. Yeah, we, we may be fuck-ups, but at least we're trying to do our job. Right, right, exactly. Right. Yeah. And, and and we did, I remember, you know, talking about from f- uh, four to five. In four, uh, Sheriff Meeker loses almost his entire department. So, as much as right. I may not like it, it actually makes some logical sense that now he's, these are all bottom of the barrel deputies. Yeah. These right. guys, he had to hire quickly. He, he had to so hire they, a whole new police force. Yep. Yep. He was on indeed right away. <laughs> yeah, no, 
These are these these guys are not not from ZipRecruiter. <laughs> right, ZipRecruiter. Right, there you go. <laughs> not a sponsor. Uh, <laughs> um, but so let's let's talk briefly about uh, Miss Tina because in the first oh okay in the did, first did, scene wait after, a minute though did we did we so did we go from one of my cons to one of my pros. <laughs> Do you want to do one of your pros? Well, no, no. If if you want to, let's talk about Tina. Yeah, I mean, let's Tina, get into Tina because she's definitely on my con list. She she is the standout. I I really feel, and no no offense to to Miss Wendy Kaplan, the character of Tina is the most standout problem of the entire film. You had you do not like her. No, no, at I, all. At and, all. and I will I will say that this is this is one of these classic things where it, it's like you can tell these writers either a don't understand teenagers in general, b don't understand teenage girls because if you remember John Carpenter uh, made sure to have Deborah Hill write all of the female banter between the girlfriends. Because he's like, I don't know how teenage girls talk to each other. You know, I'm, I'm a, I was a teenage guy. Like, I don't know this shit. So he, right. he was wise enough to be like, Deborah, I need you to help me and write these scenes. Right. Uh, so at the very least, they don't know either teenagers or teenage girls. Um, but it's verging on the kind of classic horror movie writer trap of like actively hating teenagers and writing them like fucking idiots, <laughs> you know. Which, given mm. teenagers can be idiots, but don't get me started. Yep. But I mean, this girl is so this the character, and I always want to make sure to separate the character from the actress. The character is so vapid. Like you know, she she's so a she's needy. You know, she's like with this dude who's like a total fucking douchebag, you know, and talk she's, about dipshit Denny. Yeah. Oh <laughs> and, and she is just kissing this dude's dick like all through this movie, you know, yep. even after he's dead and it's Michael Myers pretending to be him. She's still kissing his dick, you know, because yep. no matter. And, and the it's a sad scene, that scene in the car where she thinks it's her boyfriend, Mike, under the mask. And it's actually mm -hmm. Michael Myers. That is a sad fucking scene because Mike, Michael Myers is giving her the psychopathic silent treatment. Mm. And she doesn't treat it like any other, like it's like any other date with her boyfriend. It's normal. It's normal for her. Him acting mm. that way. It was normal treatment for her. And it's like so fucking sad, you know, and that's well, not that's sad. Now you're making Tina empathetic. Well, but now that, I kind yeah, of feel I, bad I, because now I really don't like her. <laughs> and now you're like, well, but, but here's here's the thing. Here's the thing. The the problem with it is it's not that there aren't uh, situate people find themselves in situations like that. You know, there are girls that find themselves in, in horrible situations like that, and they are sympathetic. The problem with Tina is that because of how she's written early in the movie, you don't get the sense that Tina doesn't understand the, that 
that treatment is wrong because there's something necessarily like broken inside of her. Like if, if a deeper character would have had like something in their background that, you know, made it so that they were susceptible to manipulators and things like that, you know, deep, deep shit. Tina is just fucking stupid. (laughs) And she's been written that way. She's been written to be a dumb, dumb person. Yep. Who is about nothing but, getting drunk, getting laid, having a good time. And I mean, yeah, there's people like that in the world. There's a place for those people. But you don't want that to be the person right next to the little girl trying to save the day. That's not right. who you want there. That's right. the that's the It's dip- a far cry from Rachel. Exactly. You want Rachel there. You want you Rachel. You want Rachel. You want yeah. Rachel and Jamie together. Cuz Rachel is Jamie's protector. Exactly. Rachel is- Right. And Rachel is Alfred to Batman. <laughs> there you go. And Rachel knows what to do. She she and she yep. will sacrifice herself gladly to protect right. Jamie. Rachel would not right. leave her alone at the hospital when this no. little girl is crying, begging her to stay because she thinks that they're both in danger. Right. So she can go and and party at just the farmhouse, party. like just because she yeah. doesn't want to miss the now Halloween she is a party. Te- now she, she is a teenager now. Like let's again, we were young once. Well, okay. You here's know? the thing. Here's the thing. So to compare them, in four, mm. Rachel realizes the responsibility. She's a teenager. She realizes the responsibility when Jamie goes missing during trick or treat. And then Rachel is absolutely out of her mind. Like, I, oh my God. Worried. Yeah. Sure, yeah. Oh my God. Oh my God. I got to find well, she her. She lost Jamie. I sure. got to find her. And that's when she becomes, she goes from being, she's not necessarily a mother figure, but that's when she becomes her real big sister. You know? Whereas Tina, you know what her moment is? When Jamie's about to get run down by Michael Myers in a car. <laughs> That's when she all of a sudden realizes, oh my god, I need to actually like step up and protect this girl. Everyone has their different trigger points. <laughs> but the reason I brought it up is because that that first scene uh, after Rachel is killed by Michael Myers in her home, and Tina shows up, that entire sequence of Tina bippity-bopping around that house... And she keeps like looking around, like, well, there something's like Max isn't here. She's not here. Like she was definitely supposed to be here. She's supposed to be getting ready for this party, you know. And the dog. Then that's the big thing. Like she even notices that like the dog, who is like supposed to be like the protector of the house, is outside. He's chained up outside, which he's not supposed to be outside when they're home. He goes everywhere with them. Right. You know. And she walks in, the house is silent, it doesn't look like anybody's been there, she's bopping around the house, and the second that the girl, the other girlfriend, uh, uh, the Samantha, shows up, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I was wondering where Rachel was, but, oh well, fuck it. <laughs> she must have well, gone, gone with her parents, and she actually says she must have gone with her parents, 
and left right. the dog there chained up outside by itself with no food and water. <laughs> yeah. Like, yep. she's just fucking stupid. She's just dumb. She's written God, to be dumb. Fucking Tina. Fucking, fucking Tina. Tina. And, and it's unfortunate because, you know, that should have been a character. And I think, like I said, Mustafa Kod kind of regretted the decision they made. Um, yeah. It should have been Rachel. It should have been Rachel. In it this should movie. have been Rachel, which it, drives me nuts because when Jamie, so Jamie doesn't talk, the, and this is one of my cons, but and it's later in the movie, but... <clears throat> um, Jamie doesn't speak through most of the movie, right? She's gone just silent. And when she finally does speak, what's her first word? Tina. (laughs) This girl has gone through such a traumatic experience. All the events of four... Going through this whole thing, she stabbed her mom, right? She's gone through all this with Rachel. Yeah. Right? She loses her ability to speak. Rachel dies, you know, the whole thing. And her first word when she finally speaks is Tina. Yeah. Not where's Rachel. Not Rachel, not mom, not, you know, Tina. Yeah. This, this, this kind of friend of a, you know what I mean? Like friend of my adopted sister. Yeah. That, you know, sometimes visits me, but for the most part, just tries to skip out so she can go to a party. Oh, yeah. 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 She, and she, that's the thing. Tina is totally the irresponsible and she's the one climbing you never through windows see, and I think the problem is is that they they only half-heartedly established the relationship between Jamie and Tina so that you didn't quite understand why Jamie was so you know trusting of her you know and and so like looked at her like as another almost like Rachel like a sister but they never established that relationship in the movie. Right. They ran, right. they 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 don't they don't make the effort, you know, in the beginning to to kind of go through that. It's just she she comes into the, the the home that Jamie's at is this goofy friend, you know, that makes Jamie laugh. You know, but whatever. Okay, it's she's not Rachel, you know. So right. where was that connection and why, you know, the audience has no no idea what that connection is supposed to be. So it's confusing. Right. And, you know, the biggest thing for me is it almost comes off like, you know, we know that Mustafa Kod specifically wanted Rachel to die in the beginning. That decision was made, but it almost looks like it, it had to end up being like a rewrite. It almost seems as if the movie was crafted that it should have been Rachel, like at least initially, at least for a, a, a time being. Because, like you just said, why the fuck would she ask for Tina before Rachel? You know, or why right. would that be her first word, you know, or whatever? And it's almost like it, it was set up that it should have been Rachel. 
But then they made this decision, oh, well, we're going to kill her off in the in the beginning, like within the first, you know, five to ten minutes. And then they had to kind of like reconfigure all the shit. Like, okay, well, now we got to now we got to put Tina in all these scenes that where, where we didn't have her before. Yeah. But, you know, it's uh, it, it was a, the most unfortunate choice, I think, of the whole thing, because you you don't necessarily like Tina. You don't you don't think that Tina is going to be able to protect her, protect Jamie at all. Um, and, and you and don't it, like any of, you don't like any of them. You don't oh, like no. any of the friends no. you there. None of these characters are likable or developed. I mean, you have, you know, uh, dipshit Denny with the car. I'm just yeah. going to keep saying dipshit <laughs> Denny cause I love it. So, um, but you really, you have this like idiot, um with the the camera i think it's a camara um but you you don't like him the the samantha's boyfriend you don't have i don't know he's okay he's okay to start he's okay to start he has but once they get to the party he's an asshole (laughs) well he has that stupid like like weird laugh like that cartoonist he laugh he's all snarky and and... yeah he's he's kind of over the top so you don't care about him um so just one of the biggest problems with the movie is that you just have unlikable characters The, the the characters are not you know what they were in um in four um Brady, you know, even though he was, you know, you know, kind of running around on Rachel with uh with Kathleen Kinmont, um he still kind of kind of felt for Brady, right? Oh yeah, yeah. They like made we... somehow they made somehow they made him like a likable character, like, you know yeah. what I mean, because yeah. he wanted to because I think we talked about it before when he had that moment of clarity when he wanted to call his parents. When you think about that, that makes you think of him as the kid that he is. Oh yeah, yeah. And he and he's like, so so you forget about him just being the number four guy that's going to die on Michael Myers' list. You know, he becomes he doesn't become a number you know yeah. anymore. He becomes like this kid who wants to just go home and like be where his parents are because yeah. that's where he feels safe. Yeah, I want to go I want to be and, safe. So even though like he was running around on Rachel like he kind of you know, like you felt for him. So like that's how Dwight Little and Alan B McElroy kind of developed these characters and so you kind of cared when they died and you didn't get any of that development in this movie. No, no, not at all. Not they they are written to be murdered. <laughs> 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 they are written to be murdered. They yeah. are written to be murdered. Yeah, very um, good. And, and uh, should we talk about the 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 mask? We we touched on the mask that the mask doesn't look. Why? Right, yeah, I mean, we might as well get to it. Sure. Is it is it not the worst mask? Yeah. <laughs> and, and what's yeah. The, what's, uh, yeah? No. Yeah. Yeah. What's it, the it primary is, reason? No. No. Ah. No. Remember, I said. H2O. When oh, yeah, H2O because of the eyes. Breaks in the seed. Well, because of the eyes. And then, well, not only that one, but the CGI part, right? When he goes into, to, yeah, but okay. 
um, <laughs> when we watched this, this last time, terrible. when we watched this last time, what, 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 what did I keep saying? Tuck your what, fucking how neck you, in. Pouty lips? No, tuck your yeah, fucking tuck neck, your neck in. in. Tuck your neck in. <laughs> yeah, because it's popping out of the, the <laughs> yeah. swimsuit. Yep. Well, here I found out. But this is cool. This is this is this is one of the cool parts of the movie. So I know we're going down the road of the mask. So if we're going to talk about the mask, we have to talk about the use of the other mask. Yeah, in uh, this movie, dipshit Denny's mask. <laughs> dipshit Denny's mask. Great. Daddy leaves in the car, so Michael puts it on. And he has a different mask on. So for the first time in the series, now Michael is wearing a different mask. So, you know, kind of a big moment, right? Yeah. So yeah. he has this different mask on. Which is an awesome mask, eyes, by the way. <laughs> but the mask is so scary looking that it's cool that you see his if, eyes in if, this one. Cause if you saw a crazier. killer in another movie wear that mask, it would be awesome. <laughs> You're exactly so you almost want him to keep just wearing that mask, yeah, <laughs> for the rest of the movie. Compared, You're like, compared oh shit, the, he found a better mask compared yeah. to the Backstreet Boy mask that he got stuck with. <laughs> well, yeah, the right because the the okay, so what's the problem with the with this mask? Well, so in my research, I found out why the mask looks like shit. Uh, so apparently. Uh, the the they were going to use the mask from four, but it didn't fit Don Shanks's giant fucking noggin. <laughs> they couldn't get it over his fucking melon. <laughs> oh my god! So they had to scrap it. They had to scrap it. And is Don Shanks the same guy that it was that that? showed his face in this one so when he takes the mask off is that don shanks or is that someone else no i like think they like i think when the mask like comes they off did it's when a Nick castle and yeah, tony I think when the mask comes off because yeah. don shanks was like a, a a big rough and tumble stunt guy like you know yeah. don, don shanks was what they call ruggedly handsome which means he'd been a few rounds <laughs> right but yeah yeah, it, it just wouldn't fit over his head, so they had to totally redo the mask to make. Oh, and boy. even then, I mean, you can tell even then, it didn't really actually fit because of the way the fucking neck sticks out. Right. It's like Don Shanks's head was just that fucking huge that even it's, after it's... they remade it, <laughs> yeah, they're like, "Oh, we're just gonna cast a whole new mask." And they were for like, you. "Well, that's as big as we can make it." So I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> He's just going to have to fucking wear it, all right? He's going to have to fucking deal with it. We can't make this thing any bigger. (laughs) We put this thing on a fucking beach ball, and that's as big as we got, buddy. (laughs) It doesn't go higher than 4X. We can't get a fucking... (laughs) We can't get bigger than a beach ball. For crying out loud, how big is this guy's head? (laughs) Oh my gosh! <laughs> so, but no, I I do like the um I I like the use. That's one of the pros of, um, of this movie is that he does wear that other mask, and it's kind of cool. And he again, we talk about how we you know he goes back to 
stalkerish Michael, planning Michael. Like he's this whole scene, he's messing with Tina. And um and now the cops come and he's brave enough to just sit there. Yeah, he sits there for quite a wait. while while they're just He's like, sitting there, he's watching the cops, you know, like all look around and he's sitting right in front of them. Oh, and yeah. then he just casually peels away. So Yeah. Yeah, she turns around, and he's gone. He's gone like dust in the wind. <laughs> but do we do you want to go do you want to do another con? Cuz I'm running out of pros. <laughs> sure, sure. Let's do another con. The psychic connection is kind of dumb and over the top. Could it have been done in a more in a more subtle way to where it would have worked? I think that this movie shows an inherent lack of trust in the abilities of Daniel Harris, even as a child actor, because Daniel. Oh, Harris, wow. Okay. That. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to give it to you. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That was a, <laughs> that was a topic sentence. <laughs> this is, this is the beginning of my thesis. <laughs> All right. Uh, no, I think Let's Daniel, get after it. Daniel Harris, uh, pr- proved in four, um, what she was capable of. I mean, for, for a kid, she, uh, she fucking, uh, she eats up every scene she's in. She, she knocks us, these movies out of the park. Um, and which is amazing for her age, you know, that's amazing to be, to be able to tap into all that and then still end up like kind of turning out normal. Like usually kids Mm -hmm. that give performances like this when they grow up, you know, they do yep. child acting like this and then they grow up and they're kind of like, you know, whacked out and have all kinds of problems. Um, you know, sh- for her to be able to do this and then still, you know, uh, have the, the career that she's had and still, you know, be doing all the different uh, projects and podcasts and things and still still be a very viable um, actor is amazing. But. I think they went into this movie. It just seems to me like, yes, she's doing a lot. She's, you know, with the facial expressions and the seizures and all this kind of stuff. I think that when they wrote this, they were writing it from a perspective of having a child actor that could not have conveyed. I think they're, I think they were used to having child actors that could not convey the depth of feeling and the spectrum of emotions that she could. And so I think the go-to gimmick was let's have her have all these over-the-top seizures and to show that she has PTSD of some kind, let's have her be mute. That, that that's the, the, we're going to, we don't, we don't think that a little girl can show us PTSD symptoms, like realistic PTSD symptoms. So we're going to have her be mute and make all these weird wheezy noises and shake all around in the bed. And that's how we're going to show that she's like troubled and struggling. And then that she's got this psychic connection. I think they should have trusted Daniel Harris. She obviously pulled off a huge, uh, a huge win in four. Uh, They could have trusted her to be able to do a more subtle approach on the PTSD symptoms 
I think she should have been talking from the beginning of the movie. But I think that the struggle should have been her making sense of what she was seeing in her head. That they could have had these as like dreams or things like that. And then Loomis trying to pull the thread out of her of like getting to the book. Okay, what does this mean? And what are these visions about? And, you know, and have it escalate, have it start out as just dreams. And then next thing you know, she's having these waking visions and she's able to express herself. Now, I know that might put a little bit of an impediment into their whole thing of like, well, Loomis is having trouble putting it together and this and that. They could have simply had it be where she was not being believed. You know, they could have had other another doctor treating her, you know, and Loomis is trying to like convince that other doctor, you know, no, she's got a connection and she needs to tell me when, you know. And, and the other doctor could be like, uh, Dr. Loomis, you're not her doctor. I'm her doctor. And right. we need to help this little girl get better. And you just want to make it worse by feeding into right. these, you know, delusions and hallucinations. Delusions, yeah. You know, right. that would have set up some kind of dr- dramatic tension. But mm-hmm. they were they were interested in having her, like, laying on a bed going, uh, 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 you know, and all this right. shit. And I, like I said, right. I think it's because, number one, it's not written well. I mean, that's right there. <laughs> it's not written well. But number two, they didn't trust her to do right. a layered performance, which I think from what we see in these movies, she was totally capable of. She could have totally pulled it off. No, I I absolutely agree. I agree. Yeah. And uh, I will close my arguments there. Uh, thank you for your time. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, perfect. That's that that's fair. Um I, I thought that um yeah, I just I, I thought it was it, over the top it, it it's weak. It's weak. It, it drew, well it they 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 made it such a centerpiece of the movie. They they did they had it kind of driving the movie that she has this psychic connection. And I thought and we talked about it before, um how they had this opportunity to connect four and five and the ending and everything. And obviously what I'm, what I mean with subtle connection and, and is more like they did at the end of four, right? She puts on, she has the same cot, like they, they build it in four, right? She bought the same costume that Michael wore when he was a kid. And then at the end, like she, uh, she stabbed her, her, adopted mother right so like she there's there's something going on there but they didn't knock you over the head with like this 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 psychic connection thing it was just more like well is it just kind of running the family or is it like you know kind of that that kind of thing you know what i mean where it kind of leaves you there's a little bit more mystery to it whereas this one you know they kind of just kind of hit, hit you over the head with it that this there's this you know psychic connection going on and it's it's just too much it's it it, and it drives the movie and it drives the movie in the wrong direction i'm right now i'm at the barn scene do we want to talk about the barn scene or do you want to talk about something else no well that was actually uh one of my pros too was that the the barn scene this was a note that i had Okay. The barn scene was not that bad. It was actually <laughs> well. I, 
I, I think this is the most brutal that you see Michael um, in the movie. And I think, um, you know, you talked about it before. He, you know, he's, he stalks in this one in the scene and he's, he's watching uh, Tina and Samantha and Samantha's boyfriend uh, having fun and stuff like that. And he's, he's stalking them and he's setting them up and then he's going to, you know, kind of do his thing. But um, they, I thought they did a pretty good job of making it very, very scary. You know, I find that whole like Halloween, like barns and hay and, you know, all that stuff kind of, creepy and um so i think that that whole scene was kind of effective i think i didn't think it was you know that bad if i have any any criticism about it i think it's a little too long i i think it's just a little bit too long and i think that the the pretense that they use to get them out into the barn is kind of ridiculous they go chasing like kittens the kittens yeah, yeah, the kittens they go chasing in the kittens barn. in the barn, which is kind of kind of goofy. Um, but but the bigger issue I have is is before that, which it feeds into two things. Number one, we keep saying like, who the fuck keeps selling these masks in Haddonfield? <laughs> I know they don't got fucking Amazon back then. He didn't order that online. Right. That was in right. a store <laughs> in Haddonfield. Vincent's so. drug is sick. They're a bunch <laughs> of sick fucks. <laughs> Yes, put the masks out. <laughs> They're our top seller. <laughs> I want to watch their reactions. <laughs> but so, so Spitz, you know, they they do this whole, they stage this whole prank for the cops, you know, and Spitz comes around like he's chasing them. Tina's screaming bloody murder and all this, yep. you know, yep. and and you know the cops just about shoot this guy. <laughs> <laughs> but thankfully for them, yep, they're bad cops. <laughs> they're lousy cops. Yeah, they're lousy cops. But yeah, it's like and and but it also then builds into how and and I don't know that it maybe they realized it when they were crafting the scene how just how unlikable be all three of them become Samantha Spitz and Tina. And Tina especially, that that little moment, you don't think a bit about it, but that makes her super unlikable. This is literally the guy that hunted two of her friends. Right. You know, the little, like, her her little friend Jamie well, she, and, and her best friend Rachel right. w- were hunted by this guy. And she thinks it's funny. And right. she thinks it's right. hilarious that Spitz is doing right. this. And, right. I, again, I don't think they... They realized they were doing it. I don't know that Wendy Kaplan maybe realized that that's what was going on with her character in that moment. But man, do you even hate Tina worse? <laughs> and especially because the characters of Rachel and Jamie are likable. Right. The fans like these characters. Yeah. That should have been a moment where that should have been like, uh, if you wanted to write it effectively to create sympathy for, for Tina. It should have been a prank by Samantha and Spitz, and Tina should have reacted badly to it. She should have been like, you know, you two, you two are fucking idiots. <laughs> you yeah. know. Yep. You know what they do get right about the mask is that you don't see the eyes. Well, yeah, that's the one thing. Luckily, they 
<laughs> they they right. succeeded. I at. mean, the only time that you that you do see his eyes, and you see his eyes well when he takes the mask off, but when uh, he's wearing the other mask. But the way again, the way that that mask was, you know, kind of the way that looked, it it, it was still really scary, even though you could see the eyes. So. It does. It doesn't quite pull me away from the fact that it looks like Nick Lachey. <laughs> The mask looks like Nick Lachey. <laughs> the old man mask looks like Nick oh, no. Lachey. <laughs> Not the old man mask. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> the Michael Myers. I was like, mask. I don't think he's. Uh, yeah, pouty, pouty boy band, <laughs> pouty boy bander. <laughs> well, yeah. So we didn't really talk about it. We just. Um, so one of the problems with the mask was the pout. Yep, the pout. And then he has like a receding hairline. Yeah, the the hairs are weird. And is this the one? Does he have the? I think he has eyebrows in this, right? No, I don't think that's this one. I that that's um, more like resurrection and stuff like that. But I, but what he the neck's out, yeah. right? So yeah, that's tuck an your issue. Neck in. The neck's out. <laughs> tuck your neck in. The neck's out. The the receding hairline. He's got like this pointy nose yeah the um, nose is off the nose is way off but yeah poor and how, then he's got that bad, he's got that pout so how bad yeah, must the don shanks felt face. how bad must the don shanks felt when he tried tried to squeeze that thing over his noggin <laughs> over his over his giant noggin <laughs> yeah the size of that thing it's like sputnik it's got its own weather system <laughs> look at that he'd <laughs> it's like an unintended toothpick. <laughs> Upcoming is the best. Here they go. Okay, so this here's is, the little friend. This is the best sequence and one of the best shots yes. of the film is the car the car chase where he chases after it, Tina and then the two kids with uh dipshit Denny's car. Oh, absolutely. This is this is uh it's a great scene. It's one of yeah. the best scenes of the movie. It's one of the it's um, well, I don't yeah, want to say it's one of the better scenes of the franchise, but it's, yeah. it's a good scene. And this him chasing Tina with the car is is one thing that's initially good, but specifically yep. there's one shot where he's chasing Jamie, and the way they have it lit with the headlights and the angle that so they here, have. So here we go. Here yeah, he is. Yeah, he's chasing he's after chasing the friend the for, boy. for some reason. Billy. Yep. Why he's chasing after and then Billy? He we don't jumps know. out of the way. Yeah, he jumps out of the way. And now, and this is the first inkling you get that this is a Christmas tree farm because he's about to chase. There it is. There's the shot. She's running in the headlights. Yep. Now it's a stunt woman. You know they yep. made, it's they pick. And they he's got just the, mowing down the trees. And he's just mowing down the Christmas trees, and it's like so fucking yep. good. Yeah, it it really is. Somehow um, Gerard got that one right. So, so that's what I mean. So, um, there were pros to this movie. Oh yeah, yeah. There were, and then, and then, obviously, there's a there's a lot of bad. Um, I'll, I'll be interested when I kind of go back through six. You know, and if, get, if if I think, yeah. I was gonna say they get back, they get right back to the suck though, because then we get Tina running through the trees, going, "Jamie, Jamie." 
<laughs> well, Tina ruins everything. So. <laughs> Tina, Tina ruins. That was the that was the planned sequel. Tina ruins everything. Tina ruins everything. Oh, so so then now uh, here's here's a fun fact. So Michael runs into the tree. He's chasing. He chases Jamie further into the woods. And Mike, this is a really cool scene. This can can right. Well, uh, were you going to talk about the horn? We'll talk about two things. First off. Okay. This scene had almost two fatalities. One, Wendy Kaplan almost got run down by the car, which they they oh, wow. they totally freaked out about because like it was one of those things where it shouldn't have been as close as it was and somebody fucked up and so she almost got literally run over. Oh wow. Um second one is when it hits the car and it lights on fire. Don Shanks almost got burned to death because it was supposed to light on fire and you just get one like shot of the flame and then they're supposed to yell cut and that's Don Shanks's cue to get the fuck out of that car and then the crew comes in and puts the car out. Right. Gerard wasn't calling cut. Oh god. And, and the stunt coordinator had to like come up and like whisper in his ear like you need to yell cut. And then he yelled yeah. cut and Don Shanks, but the flames were coming up the sides of the car and Don Shanks was doing his job. He, he was, his cue was, I hear cut, I get out. Yeah. And he wasn't hearing cut. So Don Shanks is a professional stunt guy. He's sitting there waiting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And Don Shanks, like he didn't hold it against Gerard. He actually chalked it up to that Gerard had not worked on any movie with like stunts, like an American, you know, stunt driven film before this. Mm -hmm. And that like a lot of like, uh, beginning directors when they first start doing movies with stunts in them and they see the stunt, they're like, they're watching the stunt as opposed to being the director. <laughs> right. Oh God. Oh wow. Hey man, this yeah. looks cool. Wow. That looked really good. <laughs> oh man. Oh yeah, yeah. Cut, cut. <laughs> oh, 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 cut, cut, cut. Sorry, sorry. Um, but yes, it does. It does. Uh, continuing with the idea that this is like the one of the best sequences of the film. They have that chase through the Christmas trees, and then he hits the the tree, and then we get that prolonged horn sound. So you know, like his head is on the steering wheel. There's just this sense that he's, yeah, right. His head's on the steering wheel, but he crashed. And they're all breathing a sigh of he's, relief because it's a oh, prolonged horn. Oh, he's done. Oh, he's right. done. And then. And, and then, then the horn sound stops and everybody's like, and oh, fuck. Oh, shit. You can actually almost, almost see Daniel Harris in her head just go, oh, fuck. <laughs> right. Great, great, great scene. Oh, yeah. Really yeah. cool. Really spooky. They're in the woods. You know that you see all the um, the the uh, fog kind of around the, the the car. It's a very spooky scene, and then you know the the horn stops, and it's it's you know, and then they you know the cops come and they find Jamie, and then Michael's you know kind of back in the woods again. But um, I, again, lots of lot, like scattered good ideas like right you know and then missed opportunities and it's like this i i just i get frustrated because one of the pros that you know I, again going back to it was you, you know you were bringing back the stars of the fourth one 
um, and, and then he underutilized him. It becomes one of the worst in the series because of the missed opportunities, because of the mask, because of you know the the. I, I don't. I can't think. I'm the only person who thinks that Loomis is somewhat unlikable in this movie. So there, there's there's a lot of um, just a lot of st- just silly things that they did here. And 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 I know you said you know Mustafa Akkad rushed the production on this, and and you can tell. And I don't know that you know maybe the writer the, and the director, if they had a little bit more time, would have made a better movie. Yeah, it's it's very possible because I think I don't want to knock you know like I give I give Rick Rosenthal a lot of shit, you know. But you do. You're very hard on Rick. But you know he was he was trying. He was trying his best. You know he was trying to keep certain elements you know in it and and things. But you know Rick Rick Rosenthal unfortunately sometimes you know I think his. Um, I think he he went with his head t- sometimes when he should have gone with his gut, you know, <laughs> on some of these. Um, yeah. But I think Gerard, you know, he didn't make my favorite Halloween or anything. But I think there's moments in this and the the shots and the way it's directed, you can see he had something, like he he, yes, you know, not to, that, not to use an, an overused Gen Zer term, but he he understood the assignment. You know, <laughs> you know, he, wow. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he, he had an eye, he, he, he had something going on for him. I mean, this shot of uh, Loomis threatening the deputy, like just sticking the gun in his face and everything. It's a good mm-hmm. shot. It's a good sequence. It, it builds up, you know, um, I think, yeah, I think you're, I think you're right. I think given, given another month, you know, to work on it. You know, I mean, I think that they could have, um, they could have put something, something a lot better to, together, you know, well, and, and forget another, another month if Mustafa caught, I mean, we, we see it, uh, for the most part sequels in general, it's, it's about a two year process. They try to, they try to, if they're going to do a franchise of any kind, they try to bang out one every two years at least. Right. And given two years to develop it. Well, yeah, they would have had a fucking crazy uh, good movie. Yeah. You know, that would have given them time. Well, I mean, well, you know, Halloween six came out six years later. And uh, well, yeah, I mean, but But at that at that point, you know, and and we'll delve into all that stuff. But on some level, once they decided they were going with the Mark of Thorn thing, I don't know that they. That oh, you yeah. put yourself on a train track there. That 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 train's and, only going to end up in one place. <laughs> and I can't believe it because I think we're about almost two hours into this, right? Yeah. It, we we really didn't talk very much about the Mark of Thorn. No, I to be honest, I think we're going to have to go to a part two. <laughs> no, we can't do part two on five. No, you, you, you uh, swore we could do it in one, but I mean, we only have I, like I, three I minutes of time left. I think we can do it. Listen, I think we could do it in one. I think that we will just have to kind of when we talk about six, 
we can connect, you know, five and six, six, six and uh, well, maybe talk about the ending. Yeah, we we might have five. to take two episodes for six because we'll have to really get into the mark of thorn because that's we, we it do really comes the out. man the man in black and yeah and the, so i yeah, i think the, to yeah. give it it's just due even though it's not like a great entry we have to give right. it, it it's time to really get into it so yeah we can do that so they go through the whole sequence where it's like the big capture of michael myers you know loomis ends up where none of the police or anybody could succeed loomis ends up beating the living shit out of him with a two by four uh, enough to to render him unconscious, and we don't know actually. At the end of the movie, it's left hanging whether Loomis is alive or dead. Loomis kind of just collapses on top of him, and his eyes yeah. are open, and he doesn't really move. He's just laying there, so you can't tell if he's just resting <laughs> after right. his big. Uh, 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 beat down or if he's actually died from blood loss you can't really right t- so they do leave that hanging i think probably because they weren't sure if donald pleasance was going to come back to do part six you know right he 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 just narrowly agreed to do uh four and five you know um because he he really you know he had to see scripts before he would say yes right um by the way, fun note, uh, the deputy that is with Jamie in the house to quote-unquote protect her um, manages to fire 10 shots from that revolver. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah, I noticed that. Yep. You know, at and le- and this, this, this scene itself um, is not a, a, an all-in-all bad scene, but what I can't get over is the fact that this looks nothing like the Myers house. And oh, it's yeah. just in my yeah. head. It's just in my head. It's like they've turned again, it into like a haunted mansion. There yeah, there's these huge rooms and like 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 Myers like Michael Myers lived in this, you know, like wealthy kind of house yeah. or something like that growing up. Now I may I may have to do some some partial editing here and there because I think we need to fit in a couple more um you know, comments on this. Uh, here's another fun fact. So she's about to hide in the laundry chute, right? Yep. And this is the, this is again, Chekhov's gun. They show you the laundry chute earlier in the movie. So you're like, oh, well, you know, something's got to happen with that laundry chute, right? Right. And uh, the movie almost received an X rating from the MPAA because of an the, X rating, the laundry chute scene. Because in the original cut of the laundry chute scene, they had a fake prosthetic child's leg. And they actually showed Michael when he's stabbing through the laundry chute, it actually stabs her uh-huh. in the leg. And they showed the blade go into her leg. Oh. And, and because on, it's a child, it's supposed because to be it's a child's a, it's leg. It's a child and you cannot show children getting graphically stabbed or shot or any of that stuff. Right. According, to, if you do that, the MPAA automatic X rating, and right. so they had to cut that shot out uh, to get the R rating for it. Oh wow, wow! They 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 do try to make the movie scary. Yeah, but they again they they shoot themselves in the foot when when they you have bumbling the bumbling cops and stuff like that it just it just 
I don't know. You, you, you lose that sense of horror and you lose that sense of, uh, you know, tension and everything. So yeah. I, I don't that there. This movie is just it's all over the place. So let's let's real quick. We'll jump. We'll jump to the very end. We, we get the sequence where they've now they've captured Michael Myers and he's sitting in, he's the in cell. jail. He's in jail. Yeah. He's yep. sitting in the cell and, you know, Sheriff Meeker's like, all right, we're going to, you know, we're going to hold him tonight and then we'll transfer him. We'll get people in here to transfer and in him. S- like a scene from Dick Tracy. <laughs> this guy in a fedora and a trench coat with a, with a, a Tommy gun. Right in the yep. in the the shadows comes you know blasting through the police station, and Michael gets set free. Yep, yep, it's, yeah. Blo- he, blo- he somebody blows the the jail door right open and takes him out. Of right, it's, and it's it, with zero it's context. So ridiculous. The only connection yeah. that you have is earlier in the beginning of the movie when you see that the mark of thorn on michael's wrist and at one point there's one shot in the movie with one of these the man in black quick scenes of the man in black and he like turns he's like carrying a bag or something and he turns his wrist and you see the same mark on his wrist right so it's so for an audience they're like okay what is that that's weird is is the man in black michael right is that who who is that? What well, what is going know. on? Do you, do you Why really... do they have matching mm. tattoos? Does Michael Myers have a twin brother that we never heard about? You know, maybe he has a gay lover, <laughs> and, and they so... got the tattoos together on the boardwalk, <laughs> taking a nice stroll. Maybe they had some, you know, but some so... funnel cake. So we have no context, but but somehow this guy busts. He he he. He re-kills the entire Haddonfield PD, except for Ben Meeker. Yep. <laughs> right, right. They've now, they've now right. lost it, two years in a row. They, they've lost their entire police force. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it, it's, it's a very ridiculous. And, and I think, I think for a movie that has uh, a, as many weak spots as this does, to then have an incomprehensible cliffhanger ending, uh, I think, just put the nail in the coffin for it. You know, at that point, like if it had, if it had had some kind of, I don't even know what you would do, but even if it had some kind of amazing ending, that could have redeemed the movie for the most part. You know, right. it, it would have brought it up a, a up at least one notch if it had a really great ending. But to have this completely incomprehensible, out of the blue, you know, Deus Ex Machina type ending where this guy just drops in and shoots everybody and then breaks Michael out, uh, yeah. it, it just turns the movie into like a throwaway f- flick because you're like, well, what right. is this? Right. You know, right, and, and it's 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 a it's it's such a ridiculous thing too, and I I, I hate to keep I, I feel like I keep comparing these movies to professional wrestling, but you know it's kind of like <laughs> yeah. it's kind of like the man you know, in black that, that comes surprise. in with the steel chair. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that that's it. You know, it just kind of kind of 
comes out of nowhere just for the sake of drama, you know, just to add drama to the whole thing and just to make it even more crazy. You have, oh, shit, yeah, like, here comes here yeah, comes who, the man in black. Who's this They don't guy? really... I, I, I think the problem... Uh, I, obviously, you know, the mask is an issue and, and stuff like that, but a lot of this movie is, you know, I, I don't think it had a clear idea of what it wanted to be. Um, you know, I think it had a lot of conflicting ways that, you know, they were trying to tell the story, and... Um, I just think it's a very confused script and it's a, it's a very confused movie. Yeah. And I think that that was part of what happened with six too. If you, and we'll talk about six, but when you will, when you will watch it, it's the same thing. It, the movie doesn't really know what it wants. It just kind of threw some things in and call it a Halloween movie um, and had some cool ideas and then had some big misses. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And the misses, and 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 there was not enough good things to, you know, to counter the the bad. Yeah, yeah. So, in like, fl- why does she? Why does she climb? Like, in the, I, I I know you're trying to wrap up. <laughs> I have this question because I wanted to make sure that I asked this question. Why did she climb in the coffin? Who the fuck knows? Did she climb? Like, was she giving up? Who the fuck knows? Yeah, so I mean, overall, Brad. So you know, I mean, what do we, what do we think? Where does this stack up in in the Halloween series? You know, I mean, uh, we know we know Resurrection is the bottom, seventy eight is the top. Where does this fall, kind of in in your uh, in your perspective? Uh, well, it's 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 towards the bottom. It it, it has to be. I, Again, we talked about it. Uh, there was a lot of potential. They had a lot of a um, uh, lot of things going for it. Um, you know, the cast from Four coming back. Um, that was that was you know great. They had a great um, kind of story to continue. A great uh, cliffhanger to to feed off of. Great energy to feed off of because Four was so successful. Um, and like you said earlier, they. They rushed the production, and and we talked about it with two, right? When John Carpenter is sitting at the typewriter, and he's just trying going, to get it done. What am, what am, what am I going to write? I don't know. You know, just start writing anything. And <clears throat> that came out in the final product, like we, like I talked about before. Um, but the 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 bad just just outweighs the good. Yeah. Um, and this guy, this cop at the end who looks like a child predator (laughs) what like right i mean what no right (laughs) yeah she gets in the car with him and and he he looks at her and he kind of like strokes her hair (laughs) or whatever and i'm like what are you doing dude and he looks at her weird and then you know Obviously, the man in black has now blown a, uh, apart the jail, so now he has to run in and do his duty. But I'm kind of glad that the man in black showed up because I don't know what that dude's plans were. Like, I don't know if Chris Hansen had to interfere with that. You know, that was that was supposed to be the big. Oh, result. they oh, he was just going to stop off and get some Zima. 
That was supposed to be a Z- and a couple of magazines, and then we'll just watch the Disney Channel all night. He's you know? going to get a Zima and some Jolly Ranchers. <laughs> right, yeah, right, right. He's going to get right. Uh, I don't know. I was going. I was the Zima was just for me. Christmas. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, all right. Well, that is our take <laughs> on on not just Zima. But on Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers. <laughs> so uh, next time around, we're going to do, uh, we're going to talk about Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers. And uh, we're going to talk about our our uh, our favorite Tommy Doyle, Paul Rudd. <laughs> oh, yes. And, For um, sure. and so, yeah, we'll get into that the next time. Um, if you want to... If you want to uh, write to us and tell us why uh, Zima is the best drink ever made, <laughs> you can write to us uh, at nosferadudes at gmail.com. Um, you can also find us on our uh, Twitter page, uh, the Nosferadudes podcast uh, Twitter. And uh, yeah, and uh, and just, just spam us with pictures of, <laughs> of Zima and Chris Hansen. <laughs> Maybe maybe Photoshop a Michael Myers in there, <laughs> trying to explain to Chris Hansen why he's at the house. <laughs> so uh, from from me and me, <laughs> we are the Nosferatu dudes, and remember the broadcast is coming from inside the house. But what are you doing in the house <laughs> with that Zima? <laughs> what are you doing here? Why don't you have a seat? Thanks for listening. <laughs>